Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Frank Film Club. The film club where anything goes and everyone's welcome. Frank Film Club. Take one. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Frank Film Club. I am Lowry, and I'm here with my friends Maisie and Hannah. And today we are talking about Sound of Metal, which was released in 2019, directed by Darius Marder. This is his first fiction feature film and stars Riz Ahmed, Olivia Cook, and Paul Racy. The story is about a heavy metal drummer played by Riz Ahmed who becomes deaf and we follow his journey and his struggles with addiction as he resists his new life. It won two Oscars and two BAFTAs and was nominated for them in editing and sound design. So it's done, uh, it's done pretty good. So what did you guys think? I really, really enjoyed watching this film. Um, I love kind of a struggling story about an artist and like, uh, yeah, like overcoming something which is just like so difficult. And like life is not fair. And I think when you get to see a protagonist just like experience something so world crushing um, and see their journey through that, I think, uh, I just think it makes for such an excellent movie, and this movie did just that, and I loved it. Yeah, I feel exactly the same. I love all of those themes in films anyway, but then mixed with the performance, the sound. Um, I just think the storytelling in this film was incredible, and maybe it's because Darius is from a documentary background, so he's used to threading through and finding narrative in real life. It's one of the best films I've seen in the last couple of years. Yeah, it's so raw, so visceral, and he's really captured something amazing with these actors. Um, and, and maybe that's part of it, maybe because he deals so frequently, uh, well, has just dealt with like a more documentary-style setting where he's just really truthfully trying to find the story. Maybe that has reflected in this and the reason why it is just so gut-wrenching um is is because he's sort of had that background maybe yeah so actually this film did originate from a documentary not from one that um Darius had been making but one from his co-writer Derek Cian France he had an unfinished documentary about a heavy metal drummer who had um ruptured his eardrums so he was it's basically Ruben in real life and he was making this documentary but his career was going off in different directions that meant that he couldn't finish it um so he just gave the story to Darius to um yeah to take on and that's where it all kind of came from so it is a very true story because because it is his first feature it just feels so whole and well put together it's it's just structured so well 
But then he obviously has worked with the actors like amazingly the way that the Olivia Cook and Riz Ahmed's characters work together, but individually and Paul Racy. Like, I wonder how he knew how to direct the actors. Darius worked with both of them, Riz and Paul Racy, loads um, beforehand, but separately. They didn't actually meet them or rehearse until they came on set. Oh, they didn't rehearse together? No, didn't rehearse together. Prepared separately and then came on set and then shot the whole film chronologically. Yeah, you know how sometimes when we're watching something and we go, oh, I just, I know that they were having a really good time together on set. To be honest with you, didn't really feel that. Like you can just tell that there's like a degree of separation between the two of them and and their, their two rhythms are just like, a little different to one another and it's like are they gonna like unite are you ever gonna get that like budding bromance kind of like thing or is it always gonna feel like they're sort of stuck next to each other a bit and I and yeah you can totally feel that they didn't weren't hugely familiar with one another just as like people you're right Maze. Paul as Joe was perfect he wasn't too um like fatherly or um, teacherly, but he, he I don't know, he, he just was so perfect and that's crazy that, is that the character that they specifically wanted or did they mold the character to be more like Paul Racy? So there were a lot of these similarities already, like the fact that he is a war veteran, he grew up with deaf parents and he's also struggled with addiction and he's also religious and like has the really similar beliefs to to what Joe has so it was just like a mad coincidence but then Darius is that has then said that actually the biggest thing that pulled him to Paul was his beliefs it really makes the movie I think because you're right Hannah he's not fatherly and he's not teacherly and there's not like an element of that because although that is such a powerful tool in filmmaking the fact that this doesn't actually go there and he always kind of just meets him as like an equal or as a stranger or as just like a fellow human on this earth, which like bad things have happened to. The fact that it never kind of pushes into that like son when I was your age thing, it's amazing. Let's move on to Lou and Ruben. I wanna know what you thought about their relationship. When his whole world started kind of falling apart and they had an argument in the back of the van, like I really wasn't best pleased with the way that he kind of was treating her, but I was willing to kind of overlook it given that like his whole world was literally falling apart. Um, but as the movie went on and she spent more time away from him and you realized that she was doing a lot better, I thought, Oh, I'm glad that I sort of had like those little red flags, those little warning signs and that they were they were there and I felt them. Yeah, rather than the whole ending being like unexplained for some reason she's doing great and their relationship was fine. Like I there was just real subtle things about the way that he spoke to her that I thought made the ending. I was like I get it, completely get it now. Was it again like Midsummer that we watched um a couple of episodes ago, it's codependency. Yeah. Like they're traveling around in this literal bubble in their camper van um, and they've both relying on, th- on each other for different things. 
And you can feel that from the beginning, like even the way that he's like looking at her when he's playing the drums in that first scene, which is just incredible, open to the film. But I don't know, there's just something about the way that he's like watching her for cues. And you can just tell that there's this magnetic, potentially destructive love there. What I thought was really clever was just the slight, tiny little glimmer of hope that you get with her when she thinks like, oh, he's gonna go somewhere and get help. Like, that tiny little twinge in her, that's what sort of, I think, kind of like set it all out. And it's heartbreaking because she's probably in her head going, I'm a terrible person for being grateful for this because like, I love him and I want to be with him. And But it's just, it's so layered, so clever. Because they did it chronologically. Obviously she was there for the first however long and then disappeared and then came back towards the end. So she feels transformed in that last bit because of how she looks and her setting and all of those things. But that, I just think if you can shoot chronologically, surely that I know. is such a great way to do it. Yeah, I feel like if you can, then it's only a good thing to do that. So a bit of inside insight on how good a writer Darius Marder is thought to be is that when Derek C. and France was making A Place Beyond the Pines, Darius hadn't come on as a writer until 10 weeks before they shot. So so it was only like quite last minute. He gave Derek a load of notes about the film to the point where Bradley Cooper was like, you basically changed the film. Like, I don't know if I want to be in this. But he did like, com- obviously kept it, did convince him to stay on. But it obviously paid off because that's a great film. Ooh. After that, it sounds like Derek C. and France has just been like championing him this the whole time. And, and it also just sounds like Darius very much sticks to his guns to the point where like he has lost out on a lot of amazing deals because he is pretty stubborn by the sounds of it, but in a good way, like it, pay, it obviously pays off. It took 10 years to make this film. I've heard him speaking about the casting and they they wanted him to attach a name and he was like, no, I'm not going to just attach a name just to get a green lit. Yeah. And then he met Riz and he was like, absolutely. like It's rare to hear something like a story like this, I think. Um, and it's rare to hear about, I don't know, just like very, very opinionated, like strong viewed directors who are like, this is how it's got to be, you know. Maybe it happens more, but like, I I haven't heard, we haven't spoken about this much on sort of film club. And I just think it always makes for a conversation, like a a, a movie which sparks like huge conversations. And it's just like, it's brave and bold to do that. Um, Because you, yeah, you you can't please everyone. And it's just like so interesting when a filmmaker is like, this is what it needs to be. Because then it's just like something that you can really dive into and analyze. And it's not like trying to please people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not diluted. I think you can always tell, especially with like big studio films, there's there's too many people. They just don't seem to take any risks. They'll just do what they are guaranteed to get money back on. But I feel like nowadays, if you want to make an award winning film, you've got to take those risks because the audiences kind of want to be they want to see new things. I wonder what you guys think about this, but in terms of his like full character arc, I don't know that you actually get to the point where you go, oh, he's winning again. He he kind of has got to his ending because he tried every other option and realizes that they've not worked. And his journey trying to get his 
cochlear or or you know trying to get clean or you know be it within this community or and and the ending is actually him being on the bench and like you don't really know what's going to happen i mean he, t- he takes off the cochlea but it it's like it's different to him being surrounded by all the people that he loves and they're all going we're so proud of you that you did it like it's actually a solitary moment where he's actually probably made a decision and and we're happy that it's the right one but it's different to actually seeing him like back winning again because it's still quite a down moment and I think that in itself is is kind of cool. I would just really like to talk a little bit about the types of characters that were in the um, sober deaf house. So I think that that's such a, I mean, I haven't seen that many films about deaf people anyway, never mind deaf people who were dealing with addiction. Well, there was a little bit, I mean, I think it was probably before people saw the film, they probably knew what the, the basic story was going to be about deafness and that Riz Ahmed was playing the lead and there was a little bit of a conversation around should it be a deaf actor well that is a real topic of conversation at the moment it has been brought a lot more to the forefront as it should be in how we cast roles but when you watch it obviously it's it's about him losing his hearing that's what Darius Marders has said about it I've read in an interview when he's answered that question it's about his experience losing his hearing and the loss of that I I don't know what do you think I think either someone who has experienced losing their hearing during their like conscious life so, oh, yeah, if they lost their hearing during, like, adolescence or as an adult, or having someone who can hear, and then through, I don't know, maybe, like, if you wanted to do it method, I feel like you kind of, for something like this, maybe do owe it to people, but being able to, like, really block your hearing and really find, figure out what that, how scary that would be, I think, and get into that mindset. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I have a problem with that. But then again, I'm someone who has their hearing. So <laughs> I don't really know if I need to, like, yeah, I should comment on it. I just, I just think that it's a good thing for it to be as part of a conversation anyway. Because, yes, sure, definitely, like, case by case, film by film, role by role, it should be discussed. But I think uh, not even roles which have been marked as um, being deaf, disabled or any other thing. Um, I think that should be something that we're trying to bring more into what we put on screen anyway. But they but they did block out his hearing totally, so he couldn't, yeah, couldn't hear anything. Yeah, I was going to ask that. How did they film that? Like, so yeah, did he block his ear, his hearing? Like, there were so many effects for, like, his loss of sound and obviously they won all the all the awards for that so I'm just wondering if there's any cool stories about that he wore sound blockers in his ear which sent out a white noise to block sound and then I heard that they like put like a microphone down his throat or something to so that they could record his voice from within his body is that right (laughs) yeah yeah yes yeah it was it was something that really I really got obsessed with this film after I watched it in the cinema and I will I will say as well watching the cinema is really special because they put closed caption on every screening 
which was a really nice like viewing experience and obviously the surround with the sound oh my god is amazing but they put a microphone down his throat so they could you know when you've got your fingers in your ears and the muffle and you can hear your heartbeat and even when you're talking it sounds like very internal that that's what they what they wanted so they yeah. put it down gosh his throat I think it's just so amazing to hear all these new techniques because sound design is such a huge part of every movie we watch and when they're doing it right you don't notice it and that's the kind of the point of it but with something like this there must just be so much freedom to just like experiment and find all of these new ways of doing it because you know, even in like kind of like fighting films, that sort of white noise thing or blacking out and waking up, like that sort of thing has been done. But on a movie like this, where it like is the, it's part of the narrative of the entire film, really nailing that and finding these like new ways of kind of like doing it. It was, it was like, it was really scary actually. It felt really overwhelming and I felt really anxious and like it just, you can, yeah, really get inside his head in that moment and that panic. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And now it's time for In, In the, the Club. Club. Welcome to In the Club of Frank Film Club. We've just been speaking about Sound of Metal and now we're lucky enough to have one of the producers of Sound of Metal, Sasha Ben-Haroche, who is here um, to answer our burning questions. Thank you so much for joining us, Sasha. Thank you for having me. We're so excited to learn more about the making of this film because, um, yeah, we all loved it. So uh, let's start from the beginning. So when did you come on board to the project and what stage was it at that point? I came on board, I would say, three years before uh, we um, were able to greenlit the film. Um, but Darius started writing the script um, maybe seven years before I came on board. You know, uh, as a writer-director, he kept writing the script uh, and keep making develop during the shoot, during the, the edit. But the movie was already, the script was already fully developed and they were... Um, already taking it out for a whole year but um they were not they were not successful at making it happen because of um the budget size and so we had a different cast attached uh, that is different from the final film and um and financiers could not you know we, we basically they could not find enough money to make it happen so when we when i met with darius i i was a I mean, I'm still very 
young in the industry, but I kind of like, you know, fake it until you make it type of thing. So I, I took the script and broke it down completely myself um, and remade a budget and cut 1.5 million out of the, the, the budget. And I was like, hey, this is doable. Look at this. And uh, convinced the line producer that uh, it was doable. And uh, we took it out again with, uh, with a big chunk out of the budget. And uh, I think that really helped. I think we got rid of the last financiers three weeks before the shoot. I have $500 in the bank account and 50 people working in the production office. And, oh, my God. And my body was letting me go. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very stressful time. But And then we found this guy who the director knew um, and that we convinced who had a lot of money, a private investor, and he fully financed the film. Uh, 24 hours, he put, um, not the full amount, but he put $2 million yeah. uh, in a bank account and was like, okay, you guys can start working. Oh my God. And we promised him that, you know, what the movies we make are not going to make him rich, but he's going to have a fun ride. Uh, but again, it's, it's, a, it's a, it has to be a balance between creative because we're not, we need, to, it, it's a creative first, but it has to, uh, make sense for the finances. So there is a way f to calculate where the budget should be pretty much. And yeah, and we brought that money back. <laughs> um, you touched on it a little bit in those kind of like three years before starting the shoot, the casting changed and had people pull out, you know, from a producer's perspective, like when you do have big casting changes, how does that like impact budget and the, the start date and so on? Tremendously. We're one of the, there are two levels of casting. You have the local casting and then you have the main cast. So we're talking about the main cast here. Um, it was actually every, the, all the numbers were relying on them because Darius was a first time director. So when we had our first, um, it was an, our actress pull out, um, it was very hard uh, because well, it, we already had challenges with, with financiers. So we were like, okay, this movie is falling apart fully. Um, and then the second actor, we wanted him to train uh, a lot uh, for the role. And he was not, he was, we just had different um, philosophy for the role. And so he thought he could do a movie right before and we were like not into it. But we, you know, uh, amicably, we just said like, you know, let's part ways and you're making another film. It's all good. And as a producer, again, I'm, I'm not the financiers, I'm a hands-on producer, so I had full on, full say on it, on it with Darius. I actually, Darius was my roommate for the whole process. We lived together, um, so I'm like very hands-on. <laughs> the main cast in the film is, is, is key. Uh, it's very rare that the director's name take over that on the cast. It's, it's really rare, even today, but, um, but we recasted it, and, and once Riz was on, on board, it changed everything because he took the role as a... That, that became his film. He carried it like a producer, um, and we faced challenges with him, but he was like, we're, we're making this. It's, very, it's essential to have a, a cast that also understand and why they're doing it. I'm not against any Marvel, but it's not, we're not, it's not a payday for an actor. It's literally... a. a it's a performance, and, and because it's a movie, it's a first-person film, uh, we felt that that was enough to convince um, a, a strong cast to want to be in the film for the right reason. 
Well, with with um, the amount of preparation that Riz had to do for the role, how do you factor that into pre-production? Is it a lot of self-directed work or is that part, is there like production allocated budget and people allocated to help him in that preparation? So it was a production um, prepped. It was a whole plan that we had. Um, so for the sign language, and he did the whole physical work himself because he, that's who he is. He, he was just out of venom. And I feel like that's what, you know, he was in a, in a that was a habit for him. And he had to keep um, his health good. But he does this every day. So we plan on, on two classes of AC, ASL um, per week. And he was like, no, I need five. So we started with a plan. And it was allocated from the budget, money allocated from the budget, but he wanted more. The drum was the same. We found um, Guy Licata in New York, a great teacher and very passionate. And, and so the same, he was like, I need to do this every day. And for, for I think he did nine to seven months um, every day, five days a week, he would not stop. As much as we had a plan for him to prep, he was pushing it even further. And, um, and we, I mean... I think that paid off. That's why I think he was so convincing. Yeah, he's incredible in it. We, we'd been speaking about the fact that you shot the film chronologically. And I wondered from a producer's perspective, like how was that? Well, on the producer, on a creative producer standpoint, it's amazing um, because that's, um, there is, you know, it's a first person film and it's, He's changing his whole state. He's changing, so it, it it's better. We feel for the for the performance, and and during production meetings, they were like, "Well, that's impossible." And we're like, "Well," <laughs> and we did it at I think we ninety five percent is chronologically. We had some hiccups. Yeah, it, it was really key. Also, I feel to uh, because it's very immersive as a film for the audience as well as for the actors, and and particularly. Um, Riz, so I think it really helped the creative to do it chronologically. And since then, I'm, you know, project comes to me and they're like, hey, we want to shoot this chronologically. It has to, you know, it's all about intention and it has to make sense. Um, but we always try to make it work the way the creative wants to make it work. You know, we shot everything. And then when when Ruben says goodbye to Lou, they literally split. And then Lou, Olivia Cook, goes away for half of the film so she leaves literally set for a few weeks and then we meet again in Belgium where it looks like Paris but it's Belgium um, they haven't seen each other for so long and he changed and she changed so it really I think helped the performance um, the awkwardness um, that we wanted um, in that bed scene was very palpable because they were like oh this is it's just weird. <laughs> it's uh, as much as you want, you know, an actor can act and, and do whatever, you know, uh, we're asking them to do. If we put them in a condition, in a situation, I think it always helps. If, I mean, if the production can help the performance, I think it should. The movie is like undeniably so, it's like such a success and um, it's been seen by so many people and it's such a beloved movie. And of course, like hearing from you just like, everything that went into this I mean you always hope that you're gonna get that payoff but I guess like you know was was that really like anticipated because there were so many hurdles that you guys had to overcome 
we care for the craft, so we were confident that we were making something special within the rules of filmmaking. Um, we shot 35. Um, I hired my very close friend, Daniel Bouquet, who's an amazing photographer, to shoot um, the film. Uh, Nicolas Becker was already a very um, veteran in, in, in sound editing and sound design. So we, we knew that we were crafting something special. We're, Darius and I are, and, and, and Bert are obsessed with craft. Um, so we were like, okay, it needs to be as good as possible. And so we, we um, had a high expectation. But in terms of the reception from the audience is, no, we would never, we would have never thought, of course we would, you know, sometimes, I mean, that scene, the goodbye scene between Ruben and, and, and Joe, um, we cried on set and we were like, this is very special. Uh, and, and we, we did, I think 11 takes and we cried 11 times. So we we're just like, okay, those moments are very special. So hopefully it will translate to an audience. And after that, we thought we would sell it right away, but the market was cold and nothing was telling us, oh, you guys going to go to the Oscars. It was really a buildup. And we felt that when in a weird way, because of the pandemic, um, the movie didn't stay in theaters too long. It went to people's living room very quickly. We were, you know, we make movies for the big screen, but at the same time, I think that really helped bringing this movie directly to people's home that they didn't have. I think we, we taught the movie touched way more people than it, it could have made in a, in a theater and very, and way quicker. And that make that created a whole, I think a boost for the, for the, for the, for the Oscars. Yeah. Well, we love it and um, so happy to hear more about the behind the scenes. Is there anything that you're working on at the moment with Darius or separately that that we can watch anytime soon? With Darius, we'll always talk uh, about what we would like to do when we do something. We live we, through something like this and, and it's successful. You want to repeat it. Uh, so we're thinking about things and he's been developing projects. Um, we're, we're always talking and uh, I have a movie that I submitted to Sundance so hopefully you'll have a, a chance to see it this year. Cool. What's it called? The title is not, um, it's a work in progress, but um, it's um, Gina Gamel and Riley Q directorial debut. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I really hope you guys will be able to watch it at Sundance. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. That's very exciting. Well, thank, thank you for having me, guys. Okay, so final thoughts on Sound of Metal. Um, I absolutely love this film. I am so glad that I saw it in the cinema and um, I think it is a real masterclass on storytelling and um, performance and uh, holding strong on your ideas and those not getting muddied along the way because it's just so beautifully told and I love it. Yeah, I really like this film and what I like about it most is the fact that we've watched it together and got to speak about it because it's a movie that you can talk about a lot. And so it's not necessarily like my favourite film because of how it made me feel and because of my connection to it, but more because of how I can like chat about it with other people and just like learn more about it and like learn other people's views of it. And I think it's like a good, good one to chat about. And so that's why I've enjoyed it. 
And that's it for today's episode of Frank Film Club. We hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as we did with Sasha about Sound Metal. If you haven't done already, please make sure you go and subscribe to Frank Film Club wherever you get your podcasts so you can get the new episodes in your feed every week. Um, and if you haven't done already, please do leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the episode. Um, it helps other people find the podcast. Next week... I'm super excited. We are going to be speaking with Celine Siama because we're going to be watching and talking about her new film, Petite Maman. We covered Portrait of a Lady on Fire last series and all of us loved it. So we're so excited to be watching Petite Maman with some um, insider knowledge from Celine. So the film is coming out in cinemas from the 19th of November. It's also going to be available to watch on movie from early next year. So hopefully you get the chance to watch it on the big screen and join us back here next week where we'll be speaking about Petite Maman. See you then. This podcast was presented by Wrapped.